Hey guys, in this episode, I'm going to go in detail about what is the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank. What do they do? Who's a majority stakeholder? Uh, we're going to cover some information, talk about some possible implications, and uh, that is it. So if you want to learn a little bit about this uh, very important and fairly new international institution, how it could play itself out in the international trade war with the United States or with the United States in general, uh, take a listen. All right, let's keep our focus on Asia. So um, I'm going to talk about the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank and go into some details here. So what is it? This is from the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank website. It says the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank is a multilateral development bank with a mission to improve social and economic outcomes in Asia. Headquartered in Beijing, we began operations in January 2016 and have now grown to 97 approved members worldwide. So that number I have checked on several different um, – uh, well, it, it's probably around 97 – I've been reading articles and some background that puts it anywhere between 85 and 90, but of course uh, it could be updated since then, since when I've read these articles. So what is this, right? We see, okay, it's mission to improve social economic outcomes in Asia. What, what does that mean? Well, it's a bank and it's based in China and their goal is to provide financing for projects in Asia. So this is in direct or has seen in the Western view in direct competition to things like, I guess, the World Bank and the IMF or other types of um, non-national specific bank lending institutions, right? So these are – this is comparable to these other banks like the World Bank where um, there might be many other countries – contribute money, and in return, when a country gets into, say, financial trouble like the government um, has taken on too much debt and they need what we call a bailout, then they might go to the World Bank, right? Or they might go to another lending institution, international lending institution, to help them um, service their existing debt. Um, and they might also use it for infrastructure projects or things that they can't afford to do on their own. So they would instead of – basically if maybe people don't want to buy bonds or government bonds of a certain country, then the government can go ahead and borrow the money internationally from like the World Bank or an institution like that in order to finance the operation and then pay back the World Bank instead of – paying back people who are buying that government's bonds. So that's simplistic. That's only part of the story. But basically, China set this up, and they are the majority stakeholder. I think I mentioned this in my last podcast. They have between – it. I mean when I checked on their website, um, it looked like they had um, around – 20 I thought it was about 30% when I looked checked on a CFR website the, there's a pretty good article it says that they are the 
majority stakeholder at 26% um, ownership. They have over $100 billion in pledged capital. They have spent to date between 4 and $5 billion on, of that pledged capital on um, actual projects. Now, it's very interesting because, as I noted yesterday, there is a number of Western countries that have um, that have gone ahead and invested in this bank and have provided capital. I mean, Germany, France, and Britain, uh, the Netherlands have provided – each one of them has provided a billion dollars or more of funding for this institution – so why is this significant? Um, as I've mentioned in my last podcast, this is significant because it is a fundamental challenge to the world order. Um, as I'm doing my own research into China and learning about Chinese history, uh, one of my favorite books that I'm actually reading right now is a book from Henry Kissinger and it's on China. And it is helping connect some dots that I had while I was living there which is that for China, a lot of Chinese society and throughout lots of Chinese history, which has a very long and rich history, they saw themselves kind of like as this cultural um, center of the world, right? They didn't look at themselves as a peripheral nation, as a developing country. For a good part of their history, you know, they had their ups and downs. They had empires rise and fall, but they had this general sense that they were kind of like the center of the world, kind of like how the United States actually is right now. China felt that way throughout most of its history. And judging by their population and um, you know their economy for the time, that's probably fairly accurate. So, I mean, while the Europeans were fighting amongst each other in the uh, medieval times, and kind of trying to reconstitute themselves after the fall of the Roman and Byzantine empires, uh, China was still chugging along. Now, China also had its own civil wars and, and issues throughout the last few thousand years as well. But they've essentially seen themselves as a center of the world. And what I see in these in something like this Asian infrastructure in, in this Asian um, infrastructure investment bank. Is something similar. It's a way to pull the center of gravity back from the West towards the East. And it reminds me of what we all remember about uh, the UN, right? When the UN was founded in the IMF and the World Bank back in the 1940s at the Bretton Woods Agreement, where the United States has been the major stakeholder in the UN. Now we have. Um, you know, the Security Council and things like that, different parts of the UN. But we have a majority stake in funding in, in the UN. And what's interesting is that China is taking a majority stake in the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank. And they, from what I've read, assuming it's accurate, they have a total veto power. So... Um, now they haven't used it yet, but that's like, it's brilliant, right? That's exactly what they should do. If they want to control it, it's exactly what they should do. At least you would think, right? It may breed distrust over the long term, but people are buying into it. So what, 
Um, so this is, in my opinion, this is the move, right? And China plays a long-term game and they are patient and they're setting out. It looks like there's a strategy involved here um, internationally to just really kind of go everywhere, to be everywhere. And one thing that was interesting is they are how many Western European countries have signed on to it. You know, yesterday I read a list out and it was just tons of European countries, Italy, France, Germany, the UK, the Netherlands. Um, all of them have pledged money to the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, which is essentially a Chinese run banking institution. And yet they have no power over the institution, right? They will have a fraction of the power that they have, say, like the IMF or the World Bank or one of those institutions. And yet they jumped in. And in fact, I think the only significant Western countries that didn't, well, the United States and Japan. So the fact that these countries jumped on board is interesting. Um, now I'm going to go ahead and talk about some possible implications and strategy. Uh, but if you want to, um, continue, I'm going to read some ads and I'll be right back. So what can we talk more about with the Asian infrastructure bank in a wider context? I'm going to shift over to the BRI, the belt and road initiative or the one belt, one road initiative. I've talked about it before. It's essentially a gigantic international Marshall plan. Um, I guess the Marshall Plan was international, but it's on a bigger scale than the European Marshall Plan, where the Chinese are trying to uh, – where they're basically funding infrastructure projects all throughout the uh, you know Asian continents, Indian subcontinent, um, Africa, the Middle East, and they're trying to connect China to as many uh, ports, as many railways, as many roads as possible. And I've said so before that this will give them a lot of economic leverage, assuming these projects can go through. Um, it'll give them a lot of strategic advantages, right? If they have access to ports all over the world, if they have access to roads and railroads and airports and you know just logistics facilities. Like logistics is how everything happens. So they're building out their logistics capabilities. And what else they're doing is is they lend out money to countries – to pay Chinese companies to build infrastructure in their country. And some people are concerned it's a debt trap, and that could be possible. Maybe it's not. Maybe it is. I, I mean, nobody really knows. I think that some of these countries are legitimately benefiting from the Chinese investment. And I think the Chinese, as long as they get some money back, I think as long as their economic machine keeps on churning, I think they're going to be cool with that. But, you know, I don't know. I think we're just going to have to wait and see. I'm not going to speculate and make a prediction. Uh, what's interesting is when China does this, what it does is it, it gives them – it does give them leverage, right? If you owe another country, then, you know, if you're in debt to somebody, they have leverage over you. And China it does have leverage whether or not they decide to exercise it or not. It's a subtle form of strategic advantage. So if China starts loaning money out, you know, to Italy to build roads in Italy, well, do you think Italy's going to take a hardline stance against China? Probably not. The same goes with all these other developing nations. So China is developing strategic logistical advantages as well as even if it's not explicit, 
They might never be big assholes about debt, but it would be wise for anybody borrowing from them to treat them with respect, right? I mean, that's what you would do to somebody you owe money to unless you're a fool or unless you have a plan. So it provides them a strategic advantage to loan money out and um, as well as keep their economy running. Now, another thing that's interesting is there's a perspective that this Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank will allow countries that are against BRI projects to still take money. And the case, the test, the example case is India. India is explicitly against many Belt and Road projects. However, they have accepted the most amount of projects and funding from the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, which is a Chinese-run and maintained institution. So there is speculation that the AIIB, the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, can be used to basically get in um, belt and road projects and initiatives without them being explicitly done. So how could that be done? Well, here's how you could do it. You could essentially use the money that's being pledged by all these countries to um, build projects in India and utilize, for one, China's a majority stakeholder in the the bank, right? So some of that money is going to be Chinese money. Well, I don't know what kind of conditions they might add on to that. Maybe Chinese companies are involved in the infrastructure itself, but China is going to be involved. And like I said, it's going to be tough when you're taking money from a country or an institution run by a country to turn around and be uh, able to you know, go toe-to-toe with them when you're pretty much relying on them to fund and build out your infrastructure. So once again, this is just a um, – you know, there's an, a game called Wei Qi, which is an ancient form of kind of like a chess, chess game where you try to surround your opponents. So part of this I've thought about. Part of this I've borrowed knowledge from Henry Kissinger on China and um, actually probably most of it. But uh, China, it looks like they are kind of engaging in this old, old strategy of surrounding their potential adversaries. Which, if it's the United States, well, they're doing a very good job um, in Asia, providing all this infrastructure and funding. Um, and they're also thinking about getting involved in Latin America with the AIIB. So it will be interesting to see. This is an important institution to watch. In my opinion, this bank, uh, as well as the Belt and Road projects, are going to be keys in terms of strategic importance going forward. So that's all I have to say today. I hope everyone uh, learned a little something, and that is it. Thank you.